Hi, everyone, and welcome to Before Amber, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Lady Amy. Hurricanes are one of nature's most scariest events. They cause destruction for days and miles. Today's case, our victim was home alone during one of the biggest hurricanes the U.S. has ever seen, a Category 5 when she went missing. In August of 1992, Hurricane Andrew had been causing major destruction along the East Coast. It had finally decreased to the strength of a tropical storm by the time it got to Tubelo, Mississippi, where our story takes place. Today, we are remembering Lee Ochi. Lee was born on August 21st, 1979 to Donald Ochi and Vicki Fulton. She was about 4 foot 10, 95 pounds with blonde hair and hazel eyes. She was happy. She loved hugs. She loved animals, especially dogs and horses. She would ride horses and help take care of them at the local stable. She loved to spend time there. On the morning of August 27th, 1992, summer was starting to wind down. Lee recently turned 13 and she was starting to get ready for the upcoming school year as she was getting ready to go into the eighth grade. Later that morning, her grandma was supposed to be stopping by to pick her up to take her to the school for an open house kind of event where you get your school supply list, your schedule, you meet your teachers, that sort of thing. Her grandma was taking her because her mom was going to actually leave her home alone for the first time because she had to go to work that morning. Lee lived with her mom after her parents divorced when she was much younger. She still was very close with her dad and was described as the typical daddy's girl. But he was still in the military and stationed in another state. At one point, when Lee's mom and dad met, they were both in the army. But after the divorce, her mom, she did not renew her contract with the army. Lee was still in her nightgown when her mom left for work. She promised her that she would be dressed and ready to go by the time her grandma arrived. Vicky left for work somewhere around 7.35 a.m., Knowing her daughter was scared of storms and it being the first time that she had left Lee home alone, Vicky called a check-in on her daughter not long after she had left, something that some officers kind of thought was a little odd. After trying a few times and no one answering, Vicky left work around 8.45 to go check on Lee. Again, something that some officers kind of side-eyed Vicky about. But hey, some parents are that way. They're just really protective. We're not here to judge Vicky or her parenting style. When Vicky got home, she was worried and confused. The garage door was open and the light was on and she knew she closed it. She made sure to lock and secure everything because she was leaving Lee home alone. She knew the garage had just been opened because that light was on. The light turns on when you either open or close the garage, but it does not stay on for very long. So it would not have been on from the time that she left for work. It only stays on for about a minute or two. Vicky quickly got out of her car to check on things. There was another door that was unlocked. When she got into the house, her fear got worse. There was blood on the floor, blood on the wall. Worse yet, Lee was nowhere to be found. Vicky called 911 around 9 a.m. to report Lee missing. Officers got there as soon as they could, but remember, it wasn't just a normal day. Even though Vicky's world was being torn apart inside the house, the outside was too as Andrew was still taking a toll on the area. In addition to the police, Vicky called her mom, who was supposed to have picked Lee up, and her recently separated husband, Barney Yorborough, who was not Lee's dad, just her stepdad. None of them had seen or heard from Lee. 
Tupelo's police chief, Bart Aguera, was just a detective at the time and was called in to work the scene. The police's initial search of the home found a few clues. One, there appeared to be no sign of forced entry. Since Vicky was so confident that she locked everything up, the working theory was that Lee opened the door to someone she knew. She wasn't the kind of girl to talk to strangers, so wouldn't have opened the door for just anyone. They found the blood on the floor and the walls. There was some hair stuck to blood that was on the doorframe, making them believe Lee hit her head there or someone hit their head there. Detective Aguirre said, quote, There was some indication Lee had sustained some kind of injury. You couldn't tell how bad the injury was. You couldn't tell where the injury was, end quote. There was a fairly large pool of blood on the floor that was still wet and the blood had not yet coagulated, making detectives believe the blood was very recent. Lee's nightgown was found in the laundry hamper with bloodstains on it. The pattern on the gown indicated to police that the injury was somewhere above her neck. This also let them know that she had either changed into something else or was now nude since the last thing her mom saw her in was that nightgown. In the master bathroom, police found evidence of what appeared to be a cleanup. There were pink stains on the counter like someone tried to wipe up blood. There were some scissors on the fridge in the kitchen that appeared to have blood on them, but testing would later confirm that it was actually just rust. According to Vicky, other than Lee, the only other things missing were a pair of shoes, some underwear, a sleeping bag, and Lee's reading glasses. Police took bloodhounds around the outside of the home and nearby areas, but with the storm raging on, the dogs just could not get a scent to follow, meaning either her scent wasn't there to be found or that the winds were just carrying it in so many different directions. Poor dogs, they tried. Officers searched everywhere they could, the vehicles of the family, a large ditch that was near the home, the woods, acres of trees and brush, vacant lots, and even a landfill. The following day, as the storm subsided and moved on, locals joined in on the search. An aerial search was conducted at one point. The hope was Lee was just lost and injured and just couldn't find her way home from the storm. But with the evidence from the home, they knew most likely that wasn't the case that they were looking for a body. Outside the home, there simply were no clues. There was nothing. Based on the timeline of Vicky's story, the intruder had an hour, hour and a half max to get there, beat her, and take her away. Plus, even a smaller amount of time if you factor in the blood was still wet and the garage door being light, if that was true. The suspect and Lee couldn't have been and shouldn't have been able to get very far in such a short time frame, especially with that storm going on. Vicky didn't let Lee's dad, Donald Ochi, know until the next day. He didn't get to the area until September 6th, days after she went missing. Now, I'm not putting him down at all. One, being in the military may have delayed his ability to actually be able to leave to go help in the search. And two, in interviews later on, Donald would state that Vicky made it sound like Lee had just run away. She told him, you know, that she was missing, but she said it in like a way that it was really no big deal. So he didn't truly know the severity and the urgency of the situation. He wasn't even told about the blood evidence or any of that until after he got to Tubelo. Up to that point, he thought she was just a runaway. Not that he wasn't worried about his daughter, but it wasn't the same kind of fear and worry that he now had after he got these details. Not long after Lee disappeared, a fast food worker in Boonesville, Mississippi, reported seeing Lee in a car with a man. 
the car was gone by the time police arrived, but they were actually able to track it down. They spoke to the man that was driving it, and the girl was not Lee. This kind of crime just didn't happen in Tubelo, so it really rattled the community. In the early parts of the investigation, rumors started going around town that Vicky herself may have had something to do with her daughter's disappearance. Rumors got so out of control that a gag order was put into place to stop officers from talking about the case because it was so out of control and could be hindering the investigation. So much gossip that police started to wonder if Vicky had something to do with it. Her timeline just always felt off and odd to them. Like I said, some officers thought it was odd she rushed home only after just one hour because she didn't answer the phone and was scared of storms. Something just felt off. There were also rumors that Lee had been abused during Vicky and her strange husband Barney's marriage. There were times that she would go to school with bruises and she would just tell people they were from the horses. However, there were kids that said that she had confided in them that she was scared of Barney. In interviews, Donald had even said that he had heard rumors of abuse during this time. Vicky and Barney had actually separated only weeks before Lee went missing. Barney had an alibi. He helped with the searches. He passed the lie detector test. So he was cleared pretty quickly. Vicky, however, has taken at least three different lie detector tests over the years, and all of them have shown signs of deception. On September 9th, 1992, a package arrived at Lee's home address to be Yarborough. The address was actually spelled wrong. The road was. Inside were Lee's glasses, but nothing else. No ransom note or anything. To some detectives, that was fishy. Detective Argera said, quote, There was no ransom letter or anything like that. That came with those glasses. It was just those glasses. You would think if it was an actual kidnapping, you would have expected a little more to come along with that, end quote. Police wondered if it was some sort of red herring to throw the investigation off. At this point, the FBI got involved. They were sent the package for DNA and handwriting analysis, but there was no DNA. The stamps and envelope had actually been sealed with water and not saliva, and the handwriting, it didn't go anywhere. They did know, however, that the package came from Boonesville, Mississippi, the same place that a fast food worker had thought they saw Lee in the drive-thru. 14 months after Lee went missing, a farmer was in his field working when he found a human skull. For a moment, the family had their worst fears and hopes all confirmed at once, but only for a moment. The medical examiner confirmed the skull was that of 13-year-old Lee, but very quickly retracted that statement. It turned out the records that were used were not Lee's most recent records, so they got a false confirmation. Further investigation of that field actually found the rest of the bones. Those bones and the skull turned out to be that of a 27-year-old woman who had also been missing. Though more and more people, Lee's dad included, were questioning Vicky's involvement in the disappearance, Vicky had her own person in mind of who took Lee. At this point, Everyone believed Lee was taken. She had not left on her own free will. Vicky thought of a man named Oscar McKinley Kearns, who went by Mike. Mike was a Sunday school teacher where Lee and Vicky went to church. He also liked horses. I believe he owned at least one, and he spent time at the same stables that Lee spent time at. In the past, he had asked Lee if she ever wanted to go riding with him. 
Lee would have been 12 and this guy was a grown man, which seems kind of out of line and kind of shady if you ask me. Vicky said it was someone that Lee knew, so she may have opened the door for him. He wasn't a stranger to her. Suspicion on Mike grew even more when just nine months after Lee disappeared, he kidnapped and molested a ninth grade girl who he knew from church. This happened in Memphis, Tennessee. The reports for this case say that he went to her home early that morning with the pretense of taking her to school that day, but instead he took her elsewhere and molested her. She got away and he was convicted. However, he was out on parole by 1997, just after four years. In 1999, he then kidnapped a married couple and raped the wife. For this crime, he was sent back to prison and he was released again, but not until 2019. If he had anything to do with Lee's case, we will never know. He died in May of 2021, though police and reporters had both tried to talk to him about Lee's case. He refused to ever have a single conversation about it. He was a person of interest for sure, since his crimes were very similar to Lee's case. I totally can see why Vicky had pointed her finger at him. But Vicky to this day hasn't been removed from that small list of people of interest. Police just still feel like she knows more than what she's saying, and something about her story still just doesn't add up to them. Years after the disappearance, detectives have searched the area again. They dug up the area around the home. At the time that Lee went missing, there was some work being done to the drainage ditches in the area by the house. They hoped maybe there was a chance that she was in there and had been covered up unknowingly by the workers. Sadly, they found nothing. When Lee went missing, we didn't have DNA testing, only blood typing. Based on those tests, it appeared that the blood in the home was hers. In recent years, evidence has been sent off for new testing, but if they've received any of those results, it has not been made public as of the time of this recording. To this day, no one has ever even been named a suspect in Lee's disappearance. Guys, I don't know who hurt Lee. Part of me thinks it may have been this person. Another part may think this other person. But I do believe that she was killed the night that she went missing and her body is still out there somewhere. She deserves to be returned home and properly laid to rest. Lee's case is still open. If you have any information, please reach out to the Tubelo PD at 662-841-6491. Or you can be anonymous and contact Crime Stoppers of Northeast Mississippi at 1-800-773-8477. That's all for today's case. If you don't already, please like, follow, or subscribe. Depending on where you listen, please leave a five-star review as it really does help the podcast grow. If you have a case you want me to cover, feel free to email me at beforeamberpod at gmail.com. You can also follow the show across all social media at beforeamberpod. We will be back in two weeks to remember someone else. Until next time, thanks for listening. Later. Just a reminder, as always, people of interest and suspects in these cases are innocent until proven guilty by a court of law. All sources are listed in our show notes, but some of those sources include newspapers.com, The Washington Times, Yahoo News, CNN News, Seriously Strange Episode 122, and thecharlieproject.org. Later.